I know the little kids didn't do exactly what we wanted them to do. But you know what? They did a good job. And you know what? They felt like they were a part and participating. And that is as important or more important than anything else. We've been looking at Christmas through the eyes of the prophets for the past few Sundays. Looking at the coming of Christ by viewing some of the major prophecies uh, and the major prophets themselves. We looked at how Isaiah saw the coming of the Messiah as Emmanuel, God with us. And last Sunday, our focus was on Jeremiah who saw Jesus as the Lord is or the Lord our righteousness. And we spoke last Sunday about how, it, how, it, about how by means of the image of the tinsel, I had a, a branch and some little pieces of tinsel. Using that image, we said that even though tinsel is something that looks like silver, it's actually just tinfoil. And I shared with you how we cannot be righteous on our own, but we don't have to be. Because God reverses that process. And He takes our tinfoil selves and makes them into something that's as pure as gold. Righteous. Uh, we are righteous because of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. In both Isaiah and Jeremiah, we saw the image of a branch. One that would come from a stump in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1. And a righteous branch in Jeremiah 33 15. And we saw that from all appearances, from what would have appeared to be something that was dead, life would spring forth. Now, this morning we come to the third major prophet, Ezekiel. Another of God's seers. One who also saw Christ as a tender branch. This time, however, the uh, image is going to be a little more difficult for us to... Uh, excuse me here. It's going to be a little bit more difficult for me to bring this image to life for you uh, because it involves uh, a tree, a tall tree, a tall cedar tree. And, uh, you know, it's transplanted up onto a high mountain. And uh, if we think about it in the history of what was going on, Ezekiel was delivering his message to Babylon at a time when, or to the Jews, at a time when they were being taken captive into Babylon. And God was allowing that to happen because of their refusal to repent, to repent of their sin, which was primarily idolatry. It wasn't a real joyous time. It was a tough time. Now, now think about that in terms of where we're at right now with everything that's going on. The pandemic of an illness, the turmoil in the nation about an election, and a lot of chaos. And in that same kind of a situation where, where things were troubled 
where there wasn't a lot of joy, there was this message that God gave through Ezekiel of the promise of the future deliverance. Deliverance for His people in the midst of their sorrow. And so He uses some pretty impressive objects. A tall cedar tree. Sometimes those would grow to the height of a hundred feet. And a mountain. A high mountain. Now, think about it. Because those items actually represented the grandeur of God in His creation. But they also in the Old Testament are associated both with the majesty of earthly kings and also God's majesty. And so chapter 17 of Ezekiel begins with a parable. A parable about two eagles and a vine. It's an allegorical reference to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He's taking the top branch from one of these tall cedar trees and transplanting it in Babylon. A visual image of how the king of Judah himself would be transplanted against his will. Dethroned, made a prisoner in a heathen country. A sign of weakness and spiritual failure. But then in verse 5, in verse 5 the image changes. And the remaining state of Judah, no longer a mighty cedar after its fall to Babylon, became a lowly vine in the land of Palestine. Nevertheless, it flourished, being amply cared for and protected as long as it subjected itself to Nebuchadnezzar, the eagle. But a second eagle appears. And that second eagle looks powerful and impressive. And the vine stretched its roots and branches toward him. Exactly what Judah did. And that represented Zedekiah's rebellious appeal to Egypt for help against Babylon. But Ezekiel warned that that kind of rebellion would be disastrous. And through the soil and water Though the soil and water favored growth and reproductivity, the vine itself would wither away. Even if it was transplanted, it was going to die. And then again in verses 11 to 21, there's really no doubt about the meaning of the parable or the identity of the symbols. While the first great eagle was Nebuchadnezzar and the cedar tree was that of Jehoiakim and the nobles of Judah, the seed that was planted in the fertile soil of Canaan was none other than King Zedekiah, Jehoiachin's uncle. And he was placed on that throne by Nebuchadnezzar. And the second great eagle, that was Pharaoh Psalmeticus, or Pharaoh Hophra. And he would come and overthrow the rule of Nebuchadnezzar. Now you say, well, why did you go through all of that history? Uh, because, you know, you and I sometimes need to see that these prophecies in the Old Testament, they were the words of a prophet saying to the people, look, here's what's going on. Look at it and realize that God knows what's going on and if you don't repent, disaster's going to come. But, here's how the prophecies work. Judgment, judgment, 
word of reprieve. And judgment had been spoken. Judgment against Israel for the way they were living as a nation. And they were taken into captivity. Judgment against Judah for the way that they were living. Their idolatry, their refusal to, to recognize God. And so they were taken into captivity. Don't think we might be spared as a nation. Chapter 17, verses 22 to 24. After another call to repentance, there is another promise given. And that's the text that I want to focus on for this morning. Starting with verse 22 of chapter 17. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I'll break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one. And I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree and make high the low tree. Dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. May God add His blessing to our reading of His Word. Now notice again what He says in verse 22. I Myself, it's emphatic. I Myself, I God am going to take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and I'm going to set it out, a tender little shoot. And I Myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. He continues in verse 23. I'll raise up a king in Israel. Not just any king, but a king will, who will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Now let me ask you, didn't Jesus Himself say, John chapter 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Verse 1. Then again, I am the vine, you are the branches. Verse 5. And in between He says, that we are to bear fruit. In order to bear fruit, we have to abide in Him. Now let's go back to Ezekiel. He says in verse 23, birds of every kind will nest in that tree. You see, God was here foretelling His plans of the coming of Christ and the establishment of a kingdom. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 13. Verses 31 and 32. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. Just a, a, smiley, a little tiny little seed. Anybody ever seen a mustard seed? One of my sisters or my mother, one of them had a necklace that had a little glass vial and it had an itty bitty little mustard seed in it. 
Jesus says it's the smallest of all seeds, but when it's grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. What's Jesus saying? This is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Ezekiel. That that twig that was planted is going to be there as a place of refuge for all of the birds, all of you and I. And you know what? That chapter, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, was recognized as a messianic prophecy by the Jewish people. They understood that it meant that there was something coming in the future, and they knew it wasn't something that was going to be capable with human abilities. And so they recognized it to be a prophecy of the Messiah. Now, there's a lot of things in this that I could focus on this morning. But in application, I, I just want to limit, limit our focus to two. Ezekiel shows us, I think, that God takes the insignificant and gives it significance. He's going to take a small, tender branch from the top of a tree and make it into the most significant tree the world would ever see. The kingdom of God. And where? On that mount of Zion, Jerusalem, was where this was all going to be revealed. And that's exactly what the coming of Christ into, into the world was like. Jesus, think about it. Jesus was born in an animal barn and cradled in a feeding trough in one of the most insignificant towns of the day. His earthly parents weren't rich or famous. He was certainly a tender branch when it came to this world's standards. And yet He forever changed the course of history. <clears throat> If we can see what Ezekiel saw, I think we would see that it's insignificant to the world and yet very significant to God. And vice versa. When we begin to see what Ezekiel saw, I think we'll adjust our perspective about what is important and what's not. Those of us who are Christ followers are consistently called upon to reshape our thinking and reorder our priorities according to God's perspective. Christmas season should not only be a time of checking our shopping list. I mean, that's the Santa stuff. Making a list, checking it twice. We need to look beyond our shopping list and also make it a time of checking our priorities. Do we view ourselves and others around us as God does? You see, that's a vital question. None of us should ever view our lives as insignificant. Our name may not be in neon lights or riveted across the headlines, but each and every one of us is valuable. I want you to do something for me that you might think is silly. But I want you to do it anyway. I want you to take your hand and I want you, if you need to help, I do, I need to help do this. I want you to take your hand, I'm going to push up on my elbow. I want you to take your hand and pat yourself on the shoulder and say, 
I am significant to God. I am significant to God. See, we get, we don't have to enjoy celebrity status to be important. I mean, who could be more known than Walt Disney? And yet, Walt Disney was asked one time, how does it feel to be a celebrity? And listen to his answer. It feels fine when it helps me get a good seat at a football game. <laughs> but it never helped me make a good film. It doesn't even seem to help keep fleas off our dogs. And if being a celebrity won't give one an advantage over a couple of fleas, then I guess there can't be much in being a celebrity after all. <laughs> Just like Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus, we may not appear very significant to the world, but each and every one of us is important to God. We think of the rich and the powerful as significant in our society. These people are significant to God, of course, but not because they're rich and powerful. The poor, the helpless, they're just as significant to God. And that principle carries over into the New Testament. Isn't that what James says in chapter 2, verse 5? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom He promised to those who love Him? Christ came into this world to prove our significance to God. There's another holiday story that kind of illustrates this truth. It's a cute story. It's a story about a Christmas class that was getting ready to give their Christmas program, kind of like our kids did today. And just like our kids today, everything didn't go right. They were going to sing the song, Christmas Love. And the children in the front row, center stage, were to each hold up large letters, one by one, to spell out the title of the song. As the class would sing, C is for Christmas, a child would hold up the letter C. H is for happy, and so on. Holding up their portion that presented the complete message. Christmas love. But guess what? The performance was going smoothly until suddenly one of the little, small, quiet girls in the front row didn't realize it, but she was holding her M upside down. And totally aware, unaware of her mistake, as she lifted her letter, the M was a W. And the audience, all of them snickered, but she had no idea what they were laughing at. So she stood tall and stood proudly. And when the last letter was raised, those in the audience all of a sudden saw it all together. And a hush came over the, the whole group as they began to widen their vision. Because in that instance, they understood the reason why they were there. Because the children had celebrated Christ was Christmas, was love. Christmas is indeed the story that Christ was loved. He came to let us know that God loves each and every one of us. 
regardless of our mistakes. Regardless of how serious the mistake we made might have been. How many of you have been up in, I don't know what it's called now. It was the Sears Tower for a while, then it became the Willis, Willis Tower. Is it still that? I don't know. How many of you have been up there in that, looked down through that glass? Man, when you look down, cars look, they're not even big enough to be Hot Wheels. They're just little dots moving. Now, I want to do something to illustrate a point. Ruth, would you come up here? To, I'm sorry, Dorothy, would you come up here? Her sister's name is Ruth. Would you come up here, Dorothy? Dorothy, down, right down there on the bottom. Dorothy's not a real tall girl, is she? You can see the difference in our size. James, would you come down and stand next to <laughs> Would you come down and stand next to Dorothy? <laughs> See an indifference, right? When we look at it from our perspective. That's y'all sit down. But you know what? If you're up in Willis Tower looking down. You're not going to see any difference at all. You're going to see two dots. We look at one another and we look and we point at their mistakes. Look at that. Look at that. But when God looks down on us, He sees one of two things. Either sinner or saint saved by the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ. Just us two. And that's why we need to understand, secondly, that Ezekiel saw that if we'll take refuge in Christ, then we will find true shelter. Once again, notice what God said of the tree that He plants. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They'll find shelter in the shade of its branches. That means that we may experience the promise of God's watchful care as we go through life. <laughs> Not all that long ago, there was an article in one of the papers about state regulations concerning ratios for children, the number of children per worker in child care programs. And, and I read the article, I researched it and read it because we at that point, prior to COVID, were seriously considering doing a, a preschool program here because the others in, in the area around were overcrowded and turning kids away. Now, we may disagree with the numbers that they chose, but I don't think there's any of us that would disagree with the fact that one adult can only watch so many children at a time. I heard Jim say one time to Kate, in the service. You got your hands full. <laughs> and she did. And it was only two. Aren't you glad that same principle doesn't apply to God? Since He's infinite, He can watch every one of us at the same time. But what does His care for us include? I had a little kid one time ask me, Preacher, did you think God cares about my dog that's sick? 
And you know what I told that little boy? I said, well, let's sit down and let's pray for your dog to get better and we'll just let God decide if he cares or not. I think he does. Because I think he cares because it's bothering you. And the little boy smiled and we prayed for his dog to get better. You know, the greatest Christmas gift ever given was the first one ever given. The gift of God's one and only Son. And maybe it would help us to think of it this way. There's nothing that concerns you that doesn't concern God. There is no problem, great or small, that He doesn't want to help you overcome. Philippians, check, I mean, First uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Cast how many? All. And you know what that word cast means? Now, most of us remember this because we're older. Most of us remember when the garbage truck didn't have this little hand that reached out and grabbed the garbage can and turned it over and put it back and then drove down the street. Most of us remember when the garbage man came over, grabbed our nice, shiny, brand new garbage can and chopped the stuff into the back and then beat that new can on the side of the truck if something was stuck. That's what that word cast means. Chuck it. And chuck how much of it? All your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Or Psalm, chapter 34, verse 17. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them. He delivers them from all their troubles. So the question for us is not, does God care? The real question is, have you? You, 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 than crying out to God and asking Him to help you with those things that are bothering you. Because, see, that's one of the solutions He gives us. Listen to me. God wants us to come to Him so that He can help us carry our burdens. It's not a mistake. He knows who we are. He knows where we are. He knows what our needs are. And He cares. It's even better. He not only cares about what happens to us in this life, He also offers eternal refuge and shelter for all of us. He invites us to come to Him. I'm excited about this week. Jesse and I are finishing the New Testament for the second time this year. And I am looking forward to chapter 22 because I love every once in a while when things are really bad, I love to go to Revelation 22 and read the last chapter of the book to see how it all ends. And in chapter 22, verse 17, it says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Matthew 
Chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus' words, Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The greatest Christmas gift ever given was the very first one given. The gift of God's one and only Son. And when we accept this gift, we'll find rest. Here and in the hereafter. Now, I want to make sure this is one of those little caveats that you put on the end. It's kind of like that guy that comes on after a commercial, and you can't understand what he's saying because he's speaking so fast, but he has to get in there because it's the legal warning. Here's my little caveat. Nowhere in the Bible does God promise that He's going to keep you from going through thorny rose gardens. Nowhere there. But He does promise that if you'll open up to Him, He'll go through that rose garden with you. Even if He has to have one of those crowns of thorns placed on His head. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today to worship you. That's what Christmas is all about. Worshiping the fact that you chose to come in the flesh to an insignificant little town with parents that were not famous. I mean, man, when the wise men went, when, when they went looking, they went to the palace. But they didn't find your son because you chose to come with those of us who are marginalized, who are insignificant according to the world's standards. Help us to rise up and speak boldly the message of love, the message that says you love the marginalized, you love the insignificant, and you will make us all very significant. You will make us righteous. We pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of commitment today.